Uh, Harry Potter, give me the strangest situation you had with a fan, an encounter, some maybe rabid Harry Potter fan who confused you with the character, anything along no. those lines. Well, first of all, no one recognizes me from Harry Potter, apart from the adults right. who drag their children up and say, look who it is. And the kid's like, oh. And they go, tell me you are. And I go, I'm, I'm Jason. I mean, I'm an actor. And they go, yeah, but tell me what you've been in. And I go, well, <laughs> I'm, I think your mum's saying that I was in Harry Potter. Like, no, you weren't. And I go, okay. And they go, tell me who you were. And I go, I was Lucy's mouth for you. And they go, I don't think so. And I go, well, okay. I, I was wearing a wig, but I understand what you're saying. And the mother's like, could you do the voice? And I go, do you know, I'm buying diarrhea medicine in a pharmacy, if, if it's all right with you. That happens. They toughen Craig as Bond up only to soften him uncharacteristically in this film. To love the film, you have to love JB as a person, which is odd for a spy and his legacy. First time I've ever heard anyone refer to James Bond as JB, but so is Patrick McDonald of WBGRFM. Welcome once again to Cinephile. Some new, some old, and a wild card. The new is, of course, the new 007 film. Who is not humming that? So uh, who is not miming having a gun? It's the best. Uh, and to help us with that review is our boy Chris Whittingham, who's going to join us momentarily. The rest of the cast today, uh, also the new film Mass, which is an incredible independent film. Our wild card is Jason Isaacs, great actor. We loved him in The Patriot. Uh, he's been an excellent actor for many years. He, I think he's going to get an Oscar nomination for his performance in Mass. And as far as an old film, I've never seen Nobody's Fool with Paul Newman. I finally watched it, 1994 film. The 94 year is very important because it's loaded with best actors. I just watched The Madness of King George, which you know I reviewed here on Cinephile. But that year was also Morgan Freeman for The Shawshank Redemption, John Travolta for Pulp Fiction, and then embarrassingly, Tom Hanks won for Forrest Gump, beating our boy Nigel Hawthorne, Madness of King George, and now I've seen the Paul Newman performance in Nobody's Fool. That's the slate. Let's get to our boy Chris Whittingham. So it is wonderful to have Witty here with us. Not only is he obviously a very indispensable part of the Dan mm-hmm. Levitard Show, which you can listen to, subscribe to, Apple Podcasts, not only is he a learned soccer voice, but he is also a fan of the cinephile. And, and this is not, you know, transparent because he, he was very honest with us. There's no, there's no skin in the game here for Witty. He just, he just unwittingly told me, hey, fan of the pod, sent a tweet. So, Witty, it's good to have you. I, I'm glad you're here to share some thoughts on Bond. Regular listener, uh, yes. despite the fact that I don't really watch that many movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah. I, I just sort of, I, I love the Bond franchise. So I went to watch it, but just kind of on a week-in, week-out basis. Like, you teach me a lot about the movies. You make me want to watch more <laughs> movies. And so, once the soccer season ends and I get more free time, I feel like I'm going to be catching up on cinephile movies. I love it. You complete me. That's what Woody just said to me. We have our Jerry Maguire moment here, Cody. This is amazing. You really have inspired me as well. Like, the last three or four months, I've watched more movies and TV shows than I've watched in the last two years. Granted, because I have to produce this hell thing. <laughs> I don't know why I called it a hell thing. But uh, I'm just, you, you really do. Like, I, I, we talk about movies that I haven't seen, and then I go back and watch them. Oh, that's great, man. And by the way, Chris has finally seen The Many Saints of Newark, so we're going to get Cody's thoughts mm-hmm. on that movie coming up a little bit later on as well. But, Witty, let's talk about Bond. So, as you said, you are a big Bond guy. I like Bond. I don't think I'm a big Bond guy, but I tell you, I needed this movie. I, I did not know how much I needed James Bond back in my life. I went to the theater and thoroughly enjoyed this experience. Hmm. I thought Daniel Craig was terrific as Bond. I love the ice-cool blue eyes. The fact he's got this mix of, like, 
like rugged Bond, but not quite handsome Bond, but I could see women falling for Bond. Like he's got all these different shades of Bond to him. Uh, and I like his, you know, deadpan sense of humor and those ice cool blue eyes. I love the gadgets. I love the fact that every Bond film, the first 15 minutes is always going to be amazing. Like the, for me, the best Daniel Craig movie was Skyfall, Sam Mendes directed. Mm. That first 15 minutes is about as good as the action gets. Now, here's my issues with it before I, I hand the baton to you. It's way too bloody long. I mean, two hours and 43 <laughs> minutes. I'm like, jeez. Like, this is the first time you were back in a movie theater in a long time. You know I go all the time. But I'm like, even I was getting a little restless. Maybe it's just an old bladder. But I'm like, 240, let's cut that down to 220. And most action movies, I think you would agree, need to have a great villain. This film did not have no. that. I did not think Rami Malek was interesting or fascinating or fun or joyful. He was just a creepy weirdo. So... I, I, I dissipate my enjoyment for the film because of that, but the action sequences, the vistas, that's what I liked about it. How about you? Yeah, I would say the peak of the movie is when we're in Cuba and we meet Anna Diarmas's character who absolutely yeah. stole the show in that scene. She was absolutely incredible. That whole sequence is so fun. But that, for me, is what's lacking in most of this movie. Yes, James Bond movies are meant to be tense, and you're meant to believe in the villain, but there's so much of it that's either sappy or not, like, just kind of dour. I would say the last couple yeah. of movies, Spectre and this one, are, 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 are just, are just too dour. And so yeah. you don't you get to the end, and you're not really buying this villain, so you're in the lair of Rami Malek, and yet you're not really like, okay, I know James Bond's gonna I get away I do love a this. lair, though. I love a lair. Yeah, I mean, it was an elaborate lair. There was like, like, <laughs> yeah, like... L-A-I-R, not L-A-Y-R, not layers to a character, <laughs> yes. but welcome to no, my I know, lair. I know what he was saying. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. a lair. I, like, I wish I had a yeah. lair. It was funny that there was a hairless cat in this movie, and yet it didn't belong to the villain. It was kind of, it was, it was, it was an Evil. odd touch. It was an odd touch to have a hairless cat, but not give it to the villain. Uh, but anyway, so that, that last scene, it's like, I kind of, you know, like, once you kind of realize that James Bond, spoiler alert, should, should we do spoiler yeah. alerts? Yeah. Yeah, you give me a spoiler. We right. give him five spoiler seconds alert. opportunity. Us all saying spoiler alert. Go ahead, yeah. buddy. Yeah. James Bond dies at the end. And so Jesus. <laughs> wow. And but like it's it's a poignant ending though, Cody. I'm telling you. So that's you, it's it. Really well done. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, well, no, no, well, okay. Listen, he's never going to die. James Come Bond. It's, but it's called No Time to Die. James Bond. There's a new 007 in this movie. Isn't he retired to start this movie? I yes, read that. Yes, like, he's retired. Like, this is like he's, him, he's like, retired and he yeah. starts in the CIA actually. Does a job oh, for the right. CIA. But that's always the classic trope, right? Yeah. He's had enough. I just want to go. I just want to go retire. Yeah. I want to be in the middle of seclusion. Oh, we're probably back for one last job, Bond. Speaking, speaking of the finds. speaking of the multifaceted Bond, I did enjoy how you describe him both as like, oh, I can still find him to be a good looking man, yeah. but also at the beginning yeah. he's wearing a lot of sweaters that make him seem old. Yeah. So like <laughs> he he's wearing retirement, literally. Yeah. And so yeah, uh, yeah so then he joins the CIA and the whole thing. But by the end, I'm like, okay, this is how it was supposed to end, but it didn't make me feel anything. Yeah. I wasn't like, oh, yeah. I'm sad that he died, or oh, what's going to happen to uh, the woman that he leaves behind and his own child. Uh, so it, it's, yeah. it, it, it's a movie that feels absent consequences at the end. That's the key, though. You're right. Either you have to feel something, and I thought it was a poignant ending, mm -hmm. and I said, wow, it's a nice ending. I like the way it was shot. Or like you, you're just going, come on. I'm not buying this. And I thought the acting was good, again, with those two characters, particularly themselves. But I couldn't agree with you more on Rami Malek. I mean, that guy might go down as one of the worst best actor winners ever. I, uh, I mean, Well, I, I don't think it's his fault, though, because he's, he's, yeah. like, he's doing Rami Malek's version of a Bond villain. It's honestly right. more the way that they tell his story. And I have a problem with yeah. this in two of the characters in this movie. The new 007 is put in a terrible position. Obviously, like, there, you know, a lot of the political conversation is about how, well, sure. the, the, the new 007 is a black woman. And, right. But, like, they put her in a terrible spot with the audience because you view the movie through the prism of James Bond. 
And so you're rooting for James Bond. Everything is like, oh, how does this affect James? And the fact that they put her at odds with James Bond, and not until the very end of the movie kind of make it a partnership, the whole time you're like, I, I, I don't, I, like, I'm not interested in her. I don't like her. She's like going against the hero of the movie. And so I thought they put her in a terrible spot, and they put Rami Malek in a terrible spot by having him be almost like a secondary villain, because the real villain of this movie is still Christoph Waltz. He's still the one yes. pulling the puppet strings in the Cuba scene. He's still the one that they go to 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 interrogate, and and he dies, and it leads to you know James being in, in, in infected way, with this poison. How the way to die with that poison? His skin starts bubbling up. Yeah. I mean, how many science fiction movies have these guys watched? I mean, this is, yeah. feels like something from the fifties. Right. Well, it's like unreal. right. It's it's weird to have like the, the the villain of the movie, and they've done this several times in the Craig iteration, be like yeah. some science experiment. Like, it's like, yeah. oh, well, science is what's going to break down the world. Like, Wolf Blitzer is reading out, hey, you know, science <laughs> is going to destroy the world. Which Was that Spectre or was that Skyfall? Either way, Spectre, though. Spectre, I think it was. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, or, or, or am I thinking of Mission Impossible? I think of Mission oh, Impossible. No. I'm, I'm confusing. Big fine. Yeah. Big fine. Point is, is yeah. that, like, like science being the, the villain here, it's just not compelling. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem. You have to look at, listen, there's always going to be suspension of disbelief. Of course, yes. it's a bomb movie, for God's sakes. But you got to be able to say, okay, is there enough of a reality that I can feel something about the characters? Yeah. It's like Neil Simon once said, you've got to make the characters interesting enough in the first act so you care about them in the third act. And it sounds like for you, that wasn't the case. Right, because like, so they obviously tell the Rami Malek story in the opening scene. You know that right. that's Rami Malek. And so he, he's got a past of, you know, his his family being targeted by some villain. And so the, the, the woman's family is now being targeted by the same guy. You're kind of passing on a legacy of families being ruined. So you, you get that. But it's not enough to make you feel like when they come head to head later on and he steals her daughter that like oh my mm-hmm. god this is this is terrible like it's just okay i get it that, that that's what was supposed to happen but like they had, they didn't develop anything else about this character they didn't make you feel like he's got some connection to bond he's only got a connection right. to uh, obviously the, the the woman that he's with it was just i didn't buy it and, so and you know and, the and, young guys listening right now are going hey enough of the story didn't you like the action didn't you like the ship blowing up yeah. didn't you like the cool gadgets like the, for this for the action yes. movie guy who's going to watch this movie and say hey i'm just going to watch it on dvd and forward through was the action sequence is not compelling the action sequence is were great. The, the opening scene yeah. where they're driving through, I think right. it was Italy they were supposed to be in. Yeah, well, I don't know what part of Italy that yeah. is, but I gotta go. I mean, that, that is gorgeous. It looked incredible. Here. And then, like, the, the, the scene where Bond is composed as they're just shooting yeah. and shooting and shooting uh, at his that car. That's my favorite scene in the movie. It, I it's asked fantastic. Son, that was the best scene. Yeah. It was I, I, I still think it's the Cuba scene and, like, and all the different ways that she was able and, like, yes. 007's getting involved in all that and they end up on a ship and then there's a heel turn of the guy from the U.S. government. That that whole right. sequence was great. Um, but, yeah. And to your point, that's the fun of the movie. Yes. Like, at one point, they both take a drink. Okay, you got him, you got her. Like, that's like Lethal Weapon. That's like yeah. any classic action movie. Okay, let's go do this together. Attractive female. Shaken, not dude, stirred. I, 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 for exactly. me, when shaken, not stirred happens, that's like the pinnacle of the movie for me. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I kept thinking, I go, the part that I can't wait for, along with the music, mm. is Bond. James Bond. Like, yeah. I just, I wonder what they're going to do it. And Cody, they do it when he's going to sign into the hotel. Hmm. And he says his name, and he goes, Bond. They got to give it the obligatory five second oh, pause. I love it. James Bond. Oh. Like, I, I, I couldn't I imagine Bond how many time. times. I, absolutely. Like, yeah. I would think, like, I, I loved it, like, between obviously Sean Connery's no longer with us. But if you ask any living Bond, like, what was the moment that you knew life was good? When did you know you were a success in life? <laughs> like, it was the moment that I got to say, Bond. James Bond. I would ask for 20 takes, right? Like, I would pregnant pause the hell out of it. They're like, hey, it's not that, it's like not 12 seconds. It's not like a pause you can drive a car through. No, no, yeah. I want to milk yeah. this sucker. That was a great, that, that was a great licking of the teeth. Yeah. 
James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky good at impressions, Adam. Batman is. Sneaky good. Not, yeah. not true. Yeah, not so, true. Like the, so it's that trope. Yeah. It's the music which you did at the beginning. And it's also at yeah. the end of like the, uh, you know, Bond walks across the stage and like at the end yes. of the yeah, 007 yeah, yeah, or the yeah, yeah. D does the that yeah. thing. <laughs> oh, that yeah. goosebumps. Like, and I, I love those tropes. Like, I go to the movie like as a sucker. Like, I know that I'm going to just love. If you just hit the notes, right. I'm going to love it. But the, yeah. the, the the packaging around it wasn't wasn't my favorite. What, what what about like snacks and drinks? What do you? What's the setup? Paint the picture for you. Yeah. At the movie so thing. I went yeah, to. Because Witty, you hadn't been in a movie in a long time. No, I had. I meant so much so that it was my first ever movie experience in which I had a reclining seat. Ooh, dangerous I, I, game. I, I you said, gotta go like halfway <laughs> or else what you fall asleep. This is 2012. This is incredible. I, 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 I will I, fall no. asleep in a movie theater if I go too far back. Yeah, I gotta go. I agree. It's, it's like a middle space, a yeah. nice sweet spot. Yeah. I, I was nice and comfortable, but I never I never been to a movie theater that had like I texted a couple friends. They're like, how? Like, it's, I don't know, like my <laughs> local theater. Like, and so there was like one that's like, it's like a branded experience. Uh, so sure. I, I sat there, big, big bag of popcorn, big icy nice. Coke. And uh, it, it was great. Simple. I actually, simple. You know what, though? No I, frozen I, Coke? I, I regular Coke or frozen? Frozen Coke. Okay. Frozen Coke, say, yeah. yeah. So Frozen Coke. Well, no, that's, that's the right yeah, move there. And it's quality. That's right so uh, I actually, I might have committed a faux pas. I used my bathroom break during the Bond song. Which is like oh. like after the opening montage and they do like these these big images and all that. I'm like, nothing's yeah. happening here. I can go to the bathroom now. And 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 that's when I used up the bathroom oh. break. That's tough. Cody and I have discussed this before. Mm. Like how much do you have to fight that bathroom? Yeah. I try to I try to empty it during the trailers and just power through. It, but it depends on how into the movie you are, we've decided, right? If yeah. you're not that into the movie, yeah. it's like, you which, know what, just gonna go. Which by the way, despite the fact that I have all these complaints, length didn't really bother me. Like there was like oh, okay. and, and I judge it on the basis of how often do I look at my phone. Yeah. And I, I looked mm-hmm. at my phone like two hours and ten minutes in, so I was like, okay, not that much left. So I, I was okay. I was feeling okay about the length. So you're well aware, obviously, as a listener of the podcast, I rank it at a four Maple Leafs. Yes. I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs. What ranking would you give it? Uh, that is a perfectly reasonable rating. I, I will go for two and a half nice. Maple Leafs as well. It, it was I, I love all the tropes. I'm here for it, but there's enough wrong with it where I kind of like afterwards, I read a bunch of reviews. like, okay, I'm glad that people saw the same thing that I did. Yeah, Adam Naiman of The Ringer said a little of that goes a long way. The problem with No Time to Die is that it's trying for big, bruising feelings at all times. Over two hours and 40 minutes, the pathos wears you out. And Mark Daniel, one of my hometown papers, The Toronto Sun, Fukunaga deserves credit for taking the character and adding real stakes to his 15-year story arc. Now, the one thing that we haven't discussed is that they brought in a writer, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who did yes. uh, Fleabag, Fleabag. On, on Amazon Prime, and yeah. she was like meant to kind of punch up the script and bring some levity, but I, I mean, other than creating some tension between 007 and Bond, there wasn't really that much in the way of like, oh, this is obviously funny. I mean, that Cuba scene was punched yeah. up with some humor, and like that's why I love this. It was funny and fun, and I had all the, yeah. the action movie tropes, but uh, there, there wasn't really much in the way of, again, like lightening up the tone. No, not many gags. Maybe three or four, but generally, yeah. I, I think you're right. Dower is the right word for Daniel Craig is Bond. Fairly morose guy. Yeah. Intense, serious. So, so, and I was curious where they're going to go further, because you're right. Yeah. There's been this clamoring. I for thought he died. Where else can they bond? go? Well, they're going to bring, bring in a new bring bond. A new bond. Yeah. Wait, that's yeah. how it works. A right. Bond dies, they just bring in a new one? Yeah. But his name's yeah. James Bond still? No, it's, it's a code name, Chris. It's I see. I've never name. seen yeah. any of them. I don't know. What is wrong with you? Wow. That's a big revelation. Cody anti-Bond. Wow. This is not surprising, right? I mean, come on. Timothy Dalton, you don't care. Living Daylight. It's kind of like last week when we did Adam's Family. I'm aware of it. I know the catchy tune. I know the Bond tune. I know about Bond. James Bond. I yeah. know all the hits. Yeah. I just don't see any of the movies. Start, start with Casino Royale. You'll have fun. Okay. I'm telling you. Uh, Adnan, <laughs> ranking of the five uh, Craig movies. Yeah. So I'm going to go 
for Skyfall is my favorite. Go okay, ahead. Skyfall is your favorite. Casino Royale is mine. I go Casino Royale right. one, Skyfall two, precipitous drop off. Yeah, um, yeah Spectre's the worst one. Yeah, oh, oh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Quantum of Solace is the worst mm. one. Oh, actually, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Quantum of yeah, Solace, Quantum of Solace, Solace is the worst one. I go Quantum of Solace five. I'm gonna go No Time to Die three and Spectre four. Yes. Yeah, we agree. No Time to Die is right in the middle. Yeah. I, I, I thought Spectre was the worst, but you're right. Quantum of Solace. It just felt like a turkey dud. Yeah. Like you're like, who? Like, there's nothing enjoyable about this film. Blatant, blatant money film? grab. I think like that's around the time yeah. that Daniel Craig is like, I'm a little sick of this. And yeah. then he only yeah, made three more. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think a great Bond, by the way. And again, if you want to go towards you know diversity, Atris Elba, I think, would yeah, be great. Yeah, it's a great show. You want to get a black Bond? I think that guy would kick some ass out It'd there. be amazing. Blonde. Yeah. You want a blonde bond? Black blonde. They're just combined, combining words. Look at Theron to do it. Mixing shows here. I do that on Levitard Show. Anyways. Witty, great stuff. Please promote yes. where we can listen to you beyond the Dan Levitard Show. Go ahead. Where can we find Witty? On the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gatz, <laughs> wherever you get podcasts. Uh, this week I'm doing a couple of MLS games. I don't know if there's any uh, overlap yes. between uh, MLS yeah. watchers and cinephile listeners, but uh, yeah, yeah, doing Inner Miami for locally in Miami and then uh, national game on Univision. He just see, he's always working. Yeah, that, now I want to ask questions about Witty to you, Cody. Like, I mean, listen, he's the best. Witty, I would think his work ethic stands out, does it not? Like he's he's a guy who wears many hats. I mean, that's obvious. His work ethic definitely stands out, but he's just a good guy, man. Look at him. See, like he says nice things about like liking this podcast. Like he doesn't just do that. Like he's just nice. It's weird. Yeah, I don't like it. Now I don't like it. And on the opposite, on the opposite of the spectrum, Mike Ryan, who we do love, I saw his tweet. He hated the movie. Has anyone talked to Mike about No Time to Die? Because according to the tweet, Mike Ryan is going one maple leaf on this. I think he had a, a lot of similar criticisms that we had, but that make him that made him dislike the movie, right? And gotcha. and we, you know, like I'm in a group chat. Where we talk about movies all the time, and yeah. like everyone was super excited for this, and like it's a bit. You know, you're a bit bummed out that the movie is kind of a bummer. Witty, good stuff. Good job, and on that bright note, thank you so much for coming on Cinefile. Witty! Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, just give me a little, but as you leave, just give me a little of your rendition of the theme song. Because oh. it's, it's yeah, the best. Yeah, do it. Just fade him That's awesome. Well, Witty brought the heat. Let's keep it going. From from Witty, who is, by the way, a handsome leading man. How about Paul Newman, one of the great leading men of all time? How about those blue eyes? Take that, Daniel Craig. Nobody's Fool came out in 1994. Now, Paul Newman won an Academy Award for Color of Money. Of course, Scorsese directed it back in 86. I do not think it's one of Scorsese's better films. Tom Cruise, I despise. But obviously, Paul Newman was long overdue to win an Oscar. It was a... Uh, sequel to uh, The Hustler, the same character, Fast Eddie Felsen. So just to give you context, that was 86. This is eight years later. You're not at the point in Paul Newman's career. You know, his best films, obviously, HUD, Cool Hand Luke. It's been a long time, right? He's now aging. So when an actor like this gets a Best Actor nomination, I'm immediately jaded. And I go, okay, is it actually a great movie, or is it mm. just an old actor getting old, and he's in a lead role, and like, oh, let's give him an Academy Award nomination. And it's, sadly, a little more of the latter than the former. I had never seen the film before. It came out in 1994. The story is quite simple. A stubborn man passed his prime reflects on his life of strict independence and seeks more from himself. It's directed by Robert Benton, who also co-wrote the screenplay. Richard Russo wrote the novel. It really is just a showcase if you're a fan of Paul Newman to see this great actor on the screen and commanding the screen. He plays this curmudgeon old guy who wasn't there for his son. He's now trying to make it up to his grandson. It feels very much like a sitcom, just kind of going through his life. It's like a version of Grumpy Old Men, just starring better actors. Uh, Dylan Walsh plays his son, who he's not estranged from, but doesn't have a good relationship with. You've also got 
one of my favorite actors of all time, so I'm thrilled I finally saw it for him. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a cop. He's Officer Raymer. He gets three scenes with Paul Newman. Now, he plays the typical loser cop who's like, okay, stop it. I told you, Sully. You've got to get that taillight fixed. <laughs> and eventually, you know, he gets upset with him. At one point, Philip Seymour Hoffman shoots a gun at him. He gets brought before the, the judge. And I'm like, wow, I can't imagine Philip Seymour Hoffman, two years after Scent of a Woman, which he was great in, he's now there with Paul Newman. You've also got Bruce Willis wearing a piece. And that's the biggest headline. Here you go. Bruce Willis is a full How head of hair. Look? Am I missing something? Yeah, it looks great with hair, by yeah. the way. I mean, I think bald head Bruce obviously pulled it off in Die Hard. Mm -hmm. But this is five years of Die Hard. And he's like, you know what? Let me just go with some hair. He plays Carl Roebuck, who's... Basically not quite an antagonist, but definitely a thorn in Sully's side. Jessica Tandy, of course, great actress as well. She plays Paul Newman's a significant other. And you've also got Melanie Griffith. Now, Melanie Griffith obviously had some good films back in the 80s, married to Antonio Banderas. There's one scene where Paul Newman is leaving, and he says, listen, the former woman that used to work here, you know, mm -hmm. she would kind of dress up and be a little sexy, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if you got to play the part. And Melanie Griffith lifts up her sweater, exposes her bare breasts. Mm. I'm like, okay. I, I remember nobody's film. Like, there was something about, oh, that's right. Melanie Griffith showed her tits. <laughs> and then Paul Newman kind of gives a reaction to it. Like, okay, back to my work. But ultimately, as I said, unless you're a Paul Newman fan, I can't recommend this to most modern audiences. He's an incredible actor. It's fun to see him command the screen. But nobody's full. It's an hour 47 of just a guy kind of doddering through his life. I think now when I look at 1994, which is one of the great years ever in movies, Chris, if you look at the best actor nominees, I think it should have been either Morgan Freeman for Shawshank Redemption, John Travolta for Pulp Fiction, third I'd rank Nigel Hawthorne, Madness of King George. I'd probably put Hanks, who won for Forrest Gump fourth, and then I'd put Paul Newman for Nobody's Fool. He almost kind of gets the, the Lifetime Achievement nominee. But Jay Boyer of Orlando Sentinel, Nobody's Fool is funny at times and as cuddly as an old teddy bear. But this movie is being taken far too seriously in some circles. And that must be a reference to the fact that Paul Newman got an Academy Award nomination, because I think I would agree with that. That is definitely taking it a little bit too seriously. Candace Russell, the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Newman clearly owns the part of Sully, but there is nary a false or uncertain note struck by anyone in this ensemble cast. We gotta, that is nobody's fool. I'll give it to you. We got to Go get to... Uh, have you done Forrest Gump on previous cinephiles? Because you... Oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You It was okay. one of the first ones. I okay, because you torched it a few weeks ago. One. I'm just saying, like, I, I, sure. I'm into that. I, I I love that movie, so I feel like that could be a good topic down the road. Okay, great. Well, we will bring back Forrest Gump. My, uh, you know what? We're, we're nearly approaching 200 episodes of Cinephiles. How about that? For the 200th episode of Cinephile, I will Boom. eviscerate Forrest Gump <laughs> for this new audience. Uh, next up, Scenes from a Marriage. Whew, this was tedious. Television drama miniseries which re-examines the original's iconic depiction of love, hatred, desire, monogamy, marriage, and divorce through the lens of a contemporary American couple played by Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. Our friend Dan Stanzik said last year of Adam Driver, he's having something of a moment. You know, he's in marriage stories on SNL. John Oliver loves Star him. Wars. Well, Oscar Isaac is having something of a moment. This guy is in an HBO miniseries, Scenes from Marriage. He was in The Card Counter working with Paul Schrader. He's now in the new film, Dune. Everywhere I turn, I see Oscar Isaac. He also voiced Gomez and Adam's family, too. Like, this guy did a bunch of work. It's all coming out at the same time. But sad to say, Scenes for Marriage is not one I could strongly recommend. The reason I'm even mentioning it is because I believe it's five episodes. I got through one. Cody, I found it so Oof. tedious. This is the kind of project you watch with your spouse. It's just guaranteed to elicit fights. You go, okay, this is about a marriage in ruin. It's falling apart. And you're going to take the guy's side. You're going to take the girl's side. And we're going to fight about it. I said, you know what? I'm not going to fall for that trap, HBO. I watched one episode. It's just a lot of talking. 
Okay, this is just heavy dialogue. Two great actors circling each other like shark-infested waters, searching out their prey. But I'm not getting through all five. I watched one; it was boring. Second episode, my wife watched because honestly, and she agreed with me. She goes, first one, not good. Second one, she goes, I'm telling you, it was better. A couple of good twists. So I watched the third one. I watched half of it. And I go, no, it's the same boring circular nonsense. Bergman's original, amazing. I'm not gonna watch this. You're so right about watching things that will make your, uh, you know, that will strain your relationship. The, the people in the Levitzard show were talking the other day about that we sh I should watch. I think it's called Sex Life or something. It's basically about this wife who realizes that she's not happy in her marriage and she cheats on her husband with some guy with like a uh. huge penis. And I'm just like, why would I want to watch that? You know what I mean? I'm just like, no, I don't want to. I don't. I, I well, want to watch things with bad husbands so I look like a good husband. Right. Yeah. Thankfully, you're massively endowed, so that's not going to yeah, happen. But I don't know why. I, I'm not insecure about that at all. I don't know why I brought that up even. But just hypothetically, but you, I could get insecure about that. Yes, but they love marketing these things. We're like, hey, this is a great one to watch with your spouse. You guys can fight about yeah. it. I'm like, no. How about we just complete our no. harmonious marriage? I'm not going to watch this movie about two very you know, elitist, high-strung, self-absorbed, narcissistic individuals. I'm like, why would I watch five hours yeah. of these characters? I wouldn't want to spend five minutes with these characters. <laughs> like Oscar Isaac guy, he's like a prof. He's very elitist, very highfalutin. She's clearly selfish because she's cheating on him and then tells him she's cheating on him and just blatantly says, okay, I'm leaving now. And then has this harebrained idea, hey, listen, even though I'm cheating on you, how about you move to London? I'm going to bang this guy and then you'll be down the street and at least I can see my daughter. I'm like, no, you can't do that. What? Hang on a second. You just broke the guy's Seriously. heart and I just want to go off to Like, this is stupid. Stupid. I'm not going to watch this. So anyways, Great. enjoy scenes for marriage. It's, it's an incomplete review. Like, I want to give it one Maple Leaf, but I only watched one episode. I watched half of the third. I intend to watch it no further of it. If you want to watch it, I'm a big HBO guy. The miniseries is on HBO. It's from High Guy Levy. Corey Stoll, by the way, who played Uncle Jr., is also in the show. It's nice to see him. Uh, one more. Mass. Actually, you know what? Before we get to Mass, I want to get Chris Cody's thoughts on the many scenes of Newark. Speaking of Corey Stoll, he played Junior. So what did you think of many scenes? Oh, Saints? my God. I liked it. Okay, I went in. I feel like I did miss. I, I don't feel like I was as uh, on top of my Sopranos game. So I do feel like the, some of the inside jokes, like I'm sure I missed some of those. But just overall right. as a movie, I really enjoyed it. I think that there's a lot of untold stuff. I agree with Alan Sepinwall, who we talked to last week about the movie. I just think there was a lot of stuff that felt rushed. Um, overall, as a gangster movie, I enjoyed it. But I want more. I, didn't, I don't think they gave us enough of Young Tony. Uh, I, I, like the way it ended, I just feel, I mean, you tell me, what do you think? Like, do you think, like, there's got to be more. I feel like there's going to be one or oh, two yeah. at least of, like, continuing with these actors. There's definitely going to be more content. I don't know about a movie. What I could see, because somebody was saying, what about a prequel? Like, obviously, we saw that with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So the movie could be a jumping off point to a 10-episode series. That would be good. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then I think, I think that's the way to go. I don't want to see another two-hour film, because I think at times, the story felt a little truncated. It felt a little rushed. Like, Chase is trying to cram a lot of story into hour 54 minutes. I, I watched it a second time. I didn't enjoy it the second time as much, because obviously, being in the theater was a different experience. I did didn't love I don't want to ruin it for anybody but like you know the ending is kind of well, you figure out why there's a beef between the family and sure, it's, spoiler alert we'll give a spoiler alert. give you five seconds down cuff yeah, one and two it's just, three four five Go yeah ahead. and you know it just basically junior does this because uh, because he, he got laughed at when he fell. Like, that's basically what this all started with. That's a hell of a reach. He kills Dickie Moltisanti because he fell, hurt his back, and Dickie laughed at him. Well, I'm going to kill him now. Like, wait, what? I mean, it was that's funny when he fell. I agree. I was, like, laughing too. I mean, I, I just didn't think it's something that I would kill someone over. Did you laugh when he said your sister's That was a reference to the show. Like, I'm like, I don't know if people are watching the show. I'm like, why, why, why are people laughing? But in the theater, everyone was rolling. Like, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted Junior's But lines. I thought the performances, the I thought the casting, like, David Chase... You know, like we always marvel at the casting of Sopranos. I yes. thought he nailed it. Like, I, I don't think, I can't think yeah. of a miss. Sill's wig is unbelievable. Yes. 
Yes, yeah. I love like it's uh, like that was I love the way he's always looking up that that character. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, <laughs> yeah. Alessandro Novolo. I mean, the rare lead performance for him is Dicky. He was the guy in Face Off. I mean, he was. Uh, oh, what's the character's name now? We, we, Mike Ryan. We're talking about that. Goodbye, bro. Like that. That's yeah. him. And now all of a sudden, he gets a lead performance. Michael Gandolfini, great. I thought the best performance, Vera Farmiga as Livia. She had all the mannerisms down. I thought that that was that. Yeah, I mean, this is the way they treat women. I guess that's just that's the show. Like, I, it's not going to be a yeah. Sopranos prequel unless they're treating women horribly. But I guess that was just the time. Another big reach is you and I talked about over text. This Italian woman is going to tell Dickie that she cheated on him in 1960s. Happens to be his rival, and she tells him at the beach. I'm like, what? What are you going to sign your death warrant? What are you suicidal? And you know how like that murder is a thing. Like you're aware of this. People are just dis- that was wild. I mean, I guess that was just a different time. Like the like just how easy you just like boom dead. It's just like yeah. I, I'm not a murderer. So for me, it's jarring just to like see how easily people kill. Yeah, I loved hearing Christopher narrating again. Right, it was great to yes. hear Michael Imperioli, John Bernthal, very good as well. So I want more. I'm glad I want more from it. Yeah. I just I want more. So you would give it three Maple Leafs? Yeah, sure. You know me. I don't do those like that. I don't do Maple Leafs. I just say, hey, I liked it. <laughs> Yeah, I liked it. I'll, I'll disseminate that in my own universe to say that means three Maple Leafs. <laughs> All right, that's the many states of Newark. Uh, one more here, and then we're going to get to our wild card, which is Jason Isaacs, who's a terrific actor. And the film he's in is excellent. It's called Mass. It's one of the best films I've seen so far this year. It's an independent film, which I know got rave reviews at Sundance, standing ovation, all the rest of it. And here's the story. It's the aftermath of a violent tragedy that affects the lives of two couples in different ways. It's from writer-director Fran Kron's first film. And Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton play one family. He's Jay, she's Gail. Then you got the other family, Anne Dowd as Linda and Reed Burney as Richard. The first 20 minutes, all you know is that they're having a sit-down, that these two sets of parents are meeting in a church. They're setting it up, and then 20 minutes into it, they sit down, they start talking. Again, I'm not going to keep giving spoiler alerts. If you've seen the trailer, you know what it's about. And even everyone's talking about it knows what it's about. So it's two sets of parents affected by this tragedy. One of the kids of the parents was killed. The other kid from the parents did the murder. Hmm. So imagine what is the worst situation to be. Literally your the worst scenario. Killed. Just right. in life. Your child was killed, and now you're meeting with the parents of the child who did it. Or you have to deal with the guilt of the fact that your child killed another so child. So it was murder. This was no accident, right? Like, just to clarify? Correct. This was murder? Yes. Oh. Yes. Ugh. So I, I'm watching the movie. I'm going, okay, what is the worst scenario? Do you want to lose your child? Do you want to be the one who's responsible? Like, either you're dealing with unimaginable grief or you've got the guilt on top of the grief. Because at one point, the parent who is responsible, whose child was responsible, says, listen, like, we lost a child too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. It's like, hey, your child was guilty. He was a perpetrator. I'm like, yeah, but we lost our child. Mm-hmm. So it's a fascinating film. About 20 minutes in is when they all sit down. Then it's like an hour straight of just four people. But unlike scenes from marriage, which felt very tedious and labored and stage-like, I thought this was riveting just because the cast is so uniformly strong and the writing is so crisp by Fran Kranz. And I thought it's done in a certain way that it's just completely compelling because you're really sympathetic to all four characters at all different times. Jay's character, Jason Isaacs, who we're going to talk to, his character seems nice enough at first, at first, but then you see his anger roiling away. His wife, Martha Plimpton, seems very aggressive. Is he the one that lost the kid? Is he the one that Correct. lost the kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the parents that lost. You think like he's trying to be recon, you know, reconciliation, strike that note. Uh, Martha Plimpton as well. She's the mother of the child who's been lost. 
Again, she's angry at first, passive aggressive, but then shows humanity. And Dowd is Linda. I mean, a mother of a child who committed this atrocity. And then you've got perhaps the most fascinating character, Reed Bernie, the father. Because Jay, Jason Isaac's character, keeps pushing this guy, Richard, to hey, how did you not know your kid was up to this? Like, didn't you see any warning signs? Like, one day, all of a sudden, your kid does this? So I thought the story was really smart and, and compelling, and I'm curious as to how they did the research on this. I mean, there's many books about grief and dealing with these types of tragedies. But every day, you and I see gun violence in this country. It's obviously deplorable and so sad. And when you see it on a personal level like this, I couldn't imagine how the parents deal with this. But having said all of that, it's an intense film, but I do think there's, there's glimpses of something. Like they really try to find hope and optimism in between this unimaginable, almost unendurable tragedy. So I'm going to give it four Maple Leafs. To me, it's one of the best pictures of the year. Mass is a film you should absolutely see in theaters and check it out when you can. And I do think it's going to be a favorite in the festival circuit. As I mentioned, Sundance, it won Best Picture of the Audio. Not only won Best Picture, sorry, Coda won Best Picture, but Mass definitely did get rave reviews. So intense film, Chris, but I recommend it. And we got the star. Look at us. Without further ado, Jason Isaacs. Well, what a pleasure right now here on Cinefile to bring in Jason Isaacs, who is an excellent actor for a long time, and he gives, I would say, the performance of a lifetime in this new film called Mass. I encourage all of you to go check it out. What a concept for a film. It's two sets of parents having a conversation for over an hour in an hour and 40-minute movie, and one of the children of the parents has been killed, and the other parents, their child is responsible for it. Jason, uh, a pleasure to talk to you. I thought it was a wonderful film. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, well, it's a pleasure because... Uh... I think people need to know that the film actually has some light in it, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, that when you tell them the subject matter of the film, they think, well, that sounds uh, fine. I hear that it's very good, but I mean, why the hell would I want to go and put myself through that? And the fact is, it's really about, to my mind at least, I hadn't get over blame, you know, to, to hatred. You carry hatred in your heart, you're just poisoning yourself. And these meetings take place, but these, you know, restorative justice meetings take place. And uh, the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission happened. People went in the room with people they thought they should hate or did hate for good reason and realized that that hate's just destroying their life. And I don't know about America, but England's pretty divided right now. I suspect America's pretty divided. There's a lot of people who hate each other, both across the country, across the state, in our own households. There's people we blame for stuff and uh, that blame is destroying us. So that's what the film is, a plea for human connection. No question. You're right. It's not just a, a dour film. It's intense. It's serious. But you're right. There's definitely moments of, of redemption and the healing process and reconciliation in whatever form that may be. I mean, I'll tell you what. I saw it with an audience. And that dumb, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten just how fucking powerful it is. Like it's, you, know, you could hear people breathing quietly, trying not to breathe too loudly. And, and you could feel that by the end, they'd have a a huge experience. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, it's a small film, small film budget, mm -hmm. um, a small set, one set mostly. But it felt like maybe one of the biggest films I've ever made. I mean, the audience, had, they'd gone through something. They kind of emerged blinking at the end going, holy shit, that was, a, was something enormous just happened to me. And uh, that's why we should see films collectively. And this film particularly because it's about connection. But this stuff of watching films alone at home, I don't care how big your screen is, how great your speakers are. Good stories, great stories make you feel less alone in the world. I couldn't agree more. It's really a communal experience. Your performance is outstanding. I hope you get nominated for many awards, whether it's uh, Academy Awards or Golden Globes, uh, BAFTAs, all the rest of it. I know that's not why you do it, but Jason, your performance, because you come in a certain way. You're expecting this guy. He seems a little bit more open. He's the nicer one, so to speak. He's open. Wow, you thought then, that. Yeah, How that's what I thought. 
Yeah, and then afterwards I go, no, this guy's he's seething. He's 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 got all this buried. Well, he's a man. Anger. He's a man. Yeah. He thinks he, you know, he's taken this terrible thing that happened to him, and he's turned it into solutions. Because the guy doesn't look inside, looks outside himself. He thinks he can fix things. He thinks, well, you know what? I'm going to fix, I'm going to do some activism. I'm going to fix the laws. I'm going to, you know, the, this mental health landscape is not right. This should have been picked up early. He just, he's all about fixing stuff and fixing his wife, who he thinks is very messed up. A whole series of therapists and whether she's drinking too much and a whole bunch of things that have jammed to a halt in their life and gone wrong in their marriage. And the fact is, he's just not looked at himself at all. He he's not aware of what's going on, which is why it's, you know, it's, it's very flattering when people say nice things about me, but I've been the same actor for 35 years and hundreds of parts and stuff. But every now and again, somebody gives you or you get to walk in the shoes of someone that is as fully realized, as complex and layered as Jane. I just recognize him so, so much. You know, uh, uh, he's sideswiped by all those forces. As an audience member, you go, you really don't know yourself. You think you're <laughs> one thing. You think you're managing people and things. And you are just, something's waiting to go badly wrong. And of course, it's great drama. So it does go badly wrong. So uh, it's, it's, it's hard incredible. to be flattered. When, I, when you say nice things about me, I just feel incredibly lucky that I get to be, to be part of four actors doing incredibly complex work in an adult story like this, because it's pretty rare. Well, it's generous of you to share the spotlight, but you're right. The entire ensemble is fabulous. What was it like on set? I'm curious, with stories like this, which can be intense and serious, is there a lot of levity to break things up, or is everyone very much staying in character and keeping it very serious? Well, it's funny enough, you're both right and wrong. There's a lot of <laughs> laughter. So we were laughing all the time like trains. It's because we're crying a lot, and we're shouting a lot, or we're repressing a lot. And all of our, we're having very extreme emotions. I mean, the whole, we kept ourselves in, and we shot it very quickly. And uh, very intensely. And, and uh, yeah, I don't really know what happened. It's kind of been a blackout uh, for the entire period. But I know that we laughed. I know that we cried. I know that we felt like we were one unit. You just, just briefly, you think, I don't know, this is pretentious act at all, but I don't know how else to say it. We felt like we were closer to each other than anyone else in the world. We were away from home. We didn't have our families, wives, kids, children, anything there. We just had each other. And we needed to rely on each other and trust each other and be able to make fools of ourselves in front of each other. And, and um, so, yeah, if you come to see the set, you might think we weren't taking it seriously at all. You might think, Christ, these people are, you know, this is Fran. It's a, he's put everything he owns into this, making this thing. And these guys are mess, messing around. But, but really, we, uh, we were trying to honor the freedom of it. And in order to do that acting, I mean, there's veteran actors there. Reed's been on Star of Broadway forever. And everyone's done a ton of stuff. And it's like we left it all at the door. It's like everything, all of our experience, everything, you know, all the training you've ever done, all the preparation you've ever done, you go, and let's forget that because now this requires something else. Uh, and we got together and we uh, got out of the way. It's, I mean, uh, you can't get more pretentious. I would, I would <laughs> shoot me for this, but uh, I feel like those characters came to us and we, got, we let them talk and, and we were watching each other, making sure that nobody brought any of their bullshit. You know, we were, yeah. we, nobody would have been allowed to get it with any shtick, any of the... Anything that felt like acting. We, we needed to be more truthful than we'd ever been before. To tell I, this I like you're being self-deprecating, but it's not pretentious because you're being genuine and authentic. Was there room for ad-libbing or was this very much about sticking yeah, to yeah. every word in the script? No, no, no. This room for, I mean, ad-libbing, you know, for enhancing. Fran did this thing. Look, he's a first-time writer-director. It's a ridiculously brilliant debut film. It's like it's Citizen Kane level. It's, like, it's, it's nuts. But this guy, first of all, thought you could make a film about this subject, then wrote it as brilliantly. And then directed it in a way that I don't remember him being there. What I remember is my wife and these two people and my wife who needed help. These two people who didn't understand what had happened. 
I remember the situation. I don't even remember that we were making a film. And, and what Fran did was just uh, extraordinary. But he also did this thing of having written it and lived with it for three years. And then when we first met, giving it over to us, saying, tell me about the characters. Tell me what they need or want. Tell me what doesn't work for you. And we were like, I'm, I'm only read the thing twice. And I'm like, well, I don't think he'd put up with this shit. I don't think he'd let them say that. And I think at this point, he'd be really worried that uh, she was meant to do all the talking and I'm doing all the talking. So then he's like, okay. And, and then he just wrote. It doesn't mean he agreed with it necessarily. He didn't do anything he didn't agree with. But he recognized that for us to own it, for all the actors to, to really live it, we had to feel like it came from us. So if there's anything that bumped with us, he was going to address it. What kind of research do you do for a film like this? I, I hearten to think, did you speak to any survivors of uh, parents who've done this yeah. kind of, through, through this kind of tragedy? Yeah, and there's a ton of books and a ton of documentaries and stuff, but it's, it's really, you know, the, what's universal is in the specific. Jay's married to Gail. This thing happened to us. Martha and I needed to build a life story based on a bunch of stuff we read and most people we spoke to. We needed to build a life outside that room that makes what happens in the room make sense and, and be necessary. So we had to talk and argue a lot. It's pretty argumentative, Martha. So am I. We were, we, we were half in character, half not. We would argue every day about, you know, what the therapist has said we should and shouldn't do inside the room. When we did or didn't separate and decide to have separate bedrooms because I was away all the time and because I got home late or because we didn't want to sleep together. You know, what, what we did about her drinking, what we did about our daughter who wouldn't get out of bed but wouldn't sleep. And everything. We needed to build that entire life for ourselves so that when there's references to it in the room or there aren't references to it in the room, we look at each other and we know that, hey, don't go there or don't say this. We, we, so much of what works in this film, I think, that's interesting and that people will recognize in their own marriage and lives are the things that are unsaid, the things that are, you know, the things that are avoided. We're talking to Jason Isaacs, the star of Mass. It's an incredible film. I encourage all of you to check it out. Since I have you, a couple more just about your wonderful filmography. As you said, you've been acting for decades. Yes, the I'm Patriot, old. I'm old as fuck. No, go on. <laughs> say it. Just say it. Never, sure. never do. Well, I should ask that. My wife said, how does he stay so handsome? So go ahead. That's actually my well, first question. Well, it looks question. like I'm bleached so out by the light coming in. I don't know what's going on with me now. I'm trying to fix the exposure on this. I apologize. Maybe I just get into some horrible close-up. There we go. Um, there we how go. Do stay so how young? do you stay so handsome? Very, very yeah. uh, expensive plastic surgery. <laughs> There's no skincare regimen. It's just Botox. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, the Patriot. What a terrific film. God. People come up to me in the street all the time. and they go, Dude, I got to tell you, man, my yeah. fourth grade history teacher showed us The Patriot. And it's really sparked off an interest in history. And I go, and then they told you that it's, it's all bullshit, right? And they go, what do you mean? And I go, I mean, it's a magnificent film, but that's not how it played out. Really? I go, so there's so many people thinking The Patriot is a Ken Burns documentary about the Independence War which I'm here to tell you it isn't. But it is a fantastic okay. film. Roland's a fantastic oh, filmmaker. Oh, he is. Roland is fantastic. Uh, Harry Potter, give me the strangest situation you had with a fan, an encounter, some maybe rabid Harry Potter fan who confused you with the character, anything along no. those lines. Well, first of all, no one recognizes me from Harry Potter, apart from the adults right. who drag their children up and say, look who it is. And the kid's are like, oh. And they go, tell me who you are. And I go, I'm, I'm Jason. My name, I'm an actor. And they go, yeah, but tell me what you've been in. And I go, well, I'm... <laughs> I think your mum's saying that I was in Harry Potter. Yeah. No, you weren't. And I go, okay. And they go, tell me who you were. And I go, I was Lucy's mouth for you. And they go, I don't think so. And I go, well, okay. I, I was wearing a wig, but I understand what you're saying. And the mother's like, could you do the voice? And I go, do you know, I'm buying diarrhea medicine in a pharmacy. If, if it's all right with you, that happens. I mean, lots of the fan stuff happens. Mostly what happens is people come up and they go, I just want to tell you how the Harry Potter story saved my life. 
and I was in a very dark place. So really beautiful things happen all the time. So, uh, you know, beautiful. we make fun of it. It is a magnificent thing, and I'm privileged to have been a part of it. You don't resemble him, but your name is close to Oscar Isaac, since you are Jason Isaac. He's got, no, they never. Right. Now, Chris they Isaac, I've had. And funnily enough, <laughs> I was on a talk show in the UK, and I walked through, and there's Chris Isaac. And I go, it's Chris Isaac. Can't believe it. Constantly, people go, are you related? And stuff like that. So I go up and he's standing there, no one around. So I go, hey, Chris, I'm uh, Jason Isaacs. So I'm an actor. And people mistake us all the time. He goes, huh. <laughs> it was a very moving and beautiful encounter for me. Maybe he's just a little bit of an introvert. I wouldn't take it personally. Maybe, the maybe. great Jason Isaacs. The film is called Mass. I encourage all of you to check it out. He's charming and funny. You're going to see him everywhere because I predict lots of award nominations. Nice. And I encourage everyone to check I hope people see the film. That's what counts. So thanks for Absolutely. Me. Thanks, Thanks, man. Love to see you guys. Okay, man. Take care. Once again, thanks to Jason Isaacs. Funny guy, smart guy. A couple reviews here of Mass. Bob Strauss of the San Francisco Chronicle. The dedication to unpleasant and probably unknowable reality here can only be admired, whether we like it or not. And Marianne Neal of Impression Blend. Mass is undoubtedly one of the most powerful and effective films of the year. That is Mass. Go check it out. And this is another episode of Cinephile in the books. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about The Last Duel. New film starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Joey Comer. So look forward to that. Directed by Ridley Scott. Closing thought from Chris Cody. Is Jason Isaac's the most charming man I've ever spoke to, or is it just the accent? I did kind of want to ask him that at one point. Like, how much is the accent responsible for your charm? Is it 30%? Is it 40%? Is it 80%? Like, if he was just talking like you and me, I'm like, it's definitely an impact. It's at least 30%. I just want to have that accent for a day, just to see how it changes how people perceive me. I just think people all of a sudden think you're better looking. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, he's got a beautiful accent. He must be quite handsome, right? quite charming. And you're, you're immediately more self-deprecating. Like, I don't know how. Like, those British guys, Hugh Grant, I, they're just funnier. I'm a and piece of shit, man. I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm a lousy person, a horrible adulterer, a liar, cheat, just an absolute scoundrel. But uh, pleasure to talk to you. I'm telling you, man. Like, wow, this guy's sneaky good at impressions. Don't You always say you aren't. You're sneaky good at it. <laughs> Not true. I look forward to that being the title. Working blue with Adam Burke, seeking impressions with Adam Burke. I'll see you next time at the movies. <laughs>